So such a fun noise. Uh, last week, last week in God's big picture, in case you guys didn't realize, we were focused on just two chapters of the Bible, just two chapters of the Bible. As Mickey told us last week, we've broken the entire Bible, that entire massive and sometimes confusing book, into just nine sections, just nine sections. And for these first couple of sections, these first couple of episodes, they're actually only taking up very small parts of that book. So if you guys want to catch up this week on the parts of the Bible that perhaps you didn't get a chance to read through, it's really easy. It's only two pages to read to catch up to where we are tonight. Tonight we're going to be moving past those first two chapters. In those first two chapters, in chapters one and two, God set up a perfect creation, or at least a good creation, a creation that He loves and over which He rules. And within that creation, He gave the highest honor to mankind. He gave the highest honor to humans, to two humans in particular, to Adam and Eve, and He made them in His image. In last week's episode, God's kingdom meant that everything in creation related perfectly to everything else and to God Himself. In episode one, we saw that God's people were Adam and Eve. God's place was the Garden of Eden and God's rule was perfect. People and God related to each other as He intended. How good. People didn't look at themselves and think, oh, you're just so bad and so wrong. I wish I was someone else. They didn't look at other people and say, oh, I wish you were different. They didn't look to God and say, oh, I think I can do better. God created mankind to rule under Him, to multiply, fill the earth and to work the land and to be God's image bearers, created in His likeness with responsibility all in all, I don't know about you guys, but it sounds like a pretty sweet gig. And when we look at Adam and Eve in their perfect relationship with God, they just wake up in the morning, they go for a wander on the grass, walking in the garden with God, enjoying each other and all of the fruit in the garden that was good to eat. They had perfect relationships. Except in this garden... There was one boundary. There was one restriction that God placed on Adam that he later passed on to Eve. It appears in chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It's going to come up on the screen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Those pears, go for your life. Those apples, so good. Mangoes, awesome. Pineapples, maybe, maybe not. But you know what? It's still there. If you want it, you can have it. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And now this, I don't know about you guys, but this restriction sounds a little bit strange. Because to me, 
I instantly start to think, hang on a second, God. If you created things good and the relationships are perfect, why put this tree there in the first place? But as God's image bearers, Adam and Eve, were tasked with ruling underneath God's ultimate rule, Adam and Eve were ultimately responsible to God. They had to turn up to God and give account for their actions. And at the very center of that responsibility, in fact, of any human responsibility, there's actually a lot of freedom. Freedom to make real choices. Because Adam and Eve couldn't have been said to be ruling underneath God's authority if they weren't able to make real choices between real options. In fact, without the freedom to make choices, it would be impossible for them to actually do any ruling. However, as rulers under God, Adam and Eve's choices, their free, responsible choices, should be aligned with what their ultimate ruler wants. And so why is this tree in the garden? Well, when we think about freedom and responsibility, there has to be a test of obedience. So God says you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because if you do, you will surely die. And as you know, something has happened, right? Adam and Eve are not here right now. Adam and Eve are, in fact, long dead. The Garden of Eden survives only in the pages of Genesis, and we do not have perfect relationships. I don't know about you guys, but when we were sitting last week and looking at the pattern of the kingdom, there was something deeply dissatisfying about it, because we don't have that. Not with God, not with each other, or even within ourselves. Last week, we looked at the pattern, the blueprint of the building, but we're looking up from that pattern, and if we look at the world around us, at the house that's been built from that pattern in the world around us, something has gone terribly wrong. And this is where we get our episode for this week. This week's episode is called The Perished Kingdom. If you guys have a Bible there, I'd love it if you could open it to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read a couple of verses at the start of Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to see what goes wrong. How did we get from those perfect relationships to the broken result that we have today? It's going to come up on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible there. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will all be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also then gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they all lived happily ever after. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Oh, and they realized they were naked. That's a bit awkward. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. And instead of approaching him, they hide from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So what's happened? Well, something's gone wrong. There's some problems. And the problems begin rather unexpectedly with a talking snake. Hands up if you've ever seen a talking snake before. I haven't. Uh, I actually saw a snake this week. You can ask me about that later. They're kind of terrifying. And you might have, from this reading in the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3, you might have, running around in your head right now, lots of questions, right? Who is this serpent? Where does he come from? Are we expected to believe that this actually happened? Come on, it's a talking snake. How come this snake is speaking? Now, by looking to the rest of the Bible, we can actually start to piece together some answers to some of these questions. If we look all the way at the other end of the Bible, if we look all the way to the other end of the Bible in a book called Revelation, we might say that the snake is someone by the name of Satan. And if we do some thought equations and we look at what it says about this snake, we can start to think about where he certainly doesn't come from. Because this serpent definitely hasn't been around forever. In fact, it tells us that he is part of the creation that God made. And therefore... Because this snake is doing things against what God wants it to do, it must have rebelled against him at some point in the past. 2 Peter and Jude hint towards what's going on there. We can even establish from this that there isn't some kind of massive struggle between two equal forces of good and evil. This isn't Avengers Endgame. We don't have two equal forces, but rather... What we have here is a single God who is in control of everything. Because the serpent is certainly evil, but he is by no means outside the power and rule of God. But with all of these questions and all of these confusing answers, these answers aren't really from Genesis. Because I think the writer of the story doesn't set out to answer all of our questions. The writer of Genesis tells us what we need to know. And we don't need to know where evil comes from. What Genesis is telling us is that evil exists. And so what does the writer of Genesis tell us? Well, as I've said already, today's episode shows us how things go wrong. We see the obedience of Adam and of Eve tested. 
God is exercising his right to rule in the Garden of Eden by giving Adam and Eve one rule. You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die, as Eve says. This seems pretty straightforward, but the serpent is crafty. He's a crafty little snake. And what the serpent does is so fascinating, so fascinating. He distorts what God had said. He takes what God said to Adam and Eve, and he just changes it just a little bit, just a tiny little bit, to make it seem like God is being harsh, to make it seem like God is some kind of spoil sport, like God doesn't want Adam and Eve to have any fun, man. I'm glad that got a giggle. Um, Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? That would be ridiculous, Eve. If God said you can't eat, then you're going to die anyway. Now, Eve, to her credit, was paying at least a little bit of attention, and she says, "Um, actually, Mr. Snake, God said you mustn't eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Now, interestingly, Eve actually makes a mistake. God didn't say anything about not touching this fruit, but Eve's just decided to add that little tidbit in there. We're going to blow right past that. You can discuss that in your response groups if you want. Or you will die, Eve says. But the serpent continues. He moves on from distorting God's word to straight up saying, you know what? What if God is wrong, Eve? I reckon, Eve, that God is not telling the truth. I reckon you will not surely die claims the serpent. God knows that when you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Who here doesn't want to be like God, right? Yeah. Sounds like fun. Except, unfortunately, Eve also raises her hand at that point and Eve looks at the fruit at this point, all she's got eyes for is this fruit. And what does Eve, what do we have about Eve's thought process right now? What is Eve thinking? She's looking at the fruit and she thinks, damn, that fruit looks good. And you know what? The snakes told me that fruit will make me wise. I should want to be wise. And interestingly, if, if you were to read back through chapter 2, when God creates all of the trees in the garden... Those of you who were reading through last week, what did it say about everything that God had made? It was good. That's right. So Eve is looking at one part and saying, damn, that fruit looks good. But actually, that description fits for every single piece of fruit in the garden. But she's only got eyes for this one bit of fruit now. And so she takes the fruit and she eats it. And then she turns to Adam And hands him some as well, because apparently Adam has just been standing there silently this entire time. Eve's been having a conversation with a snake right next to the thing that they're not meant to eat. And Adam is just standing there like, oh, it's good to see Eve's building her conversational skills. Good to see she's engaging with the animals in the garden. That's good. Oh, what's this? Eve has some fruit for me. 
And so he takes the fruit because he thinks it looks good as well. He would have known where it came from, and he eats the fruit. And immediately their eyes are opened. And you guys are probably sitting there thinking, okay, cool story, Sam, but why is that such a big deal? Why is this so terrible? What's wrong with eating fruit? My parents are trying to get me to do it constantly. I have to go to such great lengths to avoid eating fruit. I have to hide it in the bottom of my school bag for weeks on end. Why is it such a big deal that Eve has eaten some fruit? Surely that's good. What's wrong with a bit of fruit? Well, interestingly, the thing that's wrong here is that God told them that it was wrong. And it was God's right as the ruler to set those boundaries. It was God's right to say, don't eat from that tree. But even still, why did God not want them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Isn't it good to know what the difference is between good and evil, right? Like if I told you there was a way for you to know the difference between right and wrong, who here would want that, right? You might say that actually it seems like they did the right thing in eating from this tree. But the answer here is, is simple. Yes, you're right. It is good to know the difference between good and evil, but the reality is nothing in this text suggests that the fruit from this tree has some sort of magical quality which is going to produce knowledge in anyone who eats it. It's far more likely that God says the tree is off limits as the way to show the difference between good and evil. Let me blow your minds for a bit. Adam and Eve already knew the difference between good and evil before they ate the fruit. They already knew what was right and what was wrong because God had told them. God said, Adam and Eve, this is what's right. Live in the garden. Be fruitful. Multiply. Be my image bearers. Have perfect relationships. And this is what's wrong disobeying me and eating from this tree. And so they knew what the difference was. Eating from the tree was wrong because God said so. And the big problem with what occurred here was not that Adam and Eve just did the wrong thing, but rather they chose, they actively chose to decide for themselves what was right and what was wrong. They wanted to just trust in themselves instead of God. And the consequences are disastrous. When they move from being law-following people to trying to make laws themselves, things go horribly wrong. What's the result of this act of rebellion against God? Well, we immediately see all of those perfect relationships start to break as if I took a knife and started cutting the strings on my guitar and they snapped one by one. Immediately after eating the fruit, they feel shame. They feel shame. An interesting side point, you don't feel guilty. When you feel guilt, when you feel like you've done the wrong thing, you, 
you don't feel guilty because guilty is a reality. You either are guilty or you aren't. But the thing you're feeling in that moment is shame. Adam and Eve, immediately after eating the fruit, felt shame because they knew they were guilty. They felt shame about their nakedness. Their relationship with themselves was immediately broken and they're embarrassed, right? Suddenly, Adam's realized he's standing there with no clothes on. And so there's this really like pitiful display where they try to sew together some leaves to cover themselves. It wouldn't work. Um, It would have been horrible. But even worse than that, their relationship with God is now irreparably damaged. And so God comes looking for them, and they immediately hide away. And when God asks them what they've done, we see the relationship between Adam and Eve is broken so badly that Adam immediately tries to throw Eve under the bus. And then Eve's like, nah, not my fault, tries to throw the snake under the bus, and the snake is just under the bus now. But God knows that realistically everyone should be under this bus, and so there's no escaping it. When God asks them what they've done, they blame each other. And so God has no choice but to, at this point, cast humanity out of the Garden of Eden. So instead of creation working with mankind, it's now going to work against them. And so what do we see is the new reality for God's kingdom? Well, who are God's people? There's no one. And where is God's place? Well, it's somewhere that no one has access to because they've been banished from it. And what is God's rule? Well, unfortunately, it's been disobeyed. And so there's no one living under God's rule. You'll see with that little picture there, there's a person over off to the side with a little crown above their heads because they're trying to live for themselves. And on top of all of this, it turns out the serpent was just straight up lying. Uh, The serpent was wrong, even though it wasn't immediate. Even though Adam and Eve didn't just drop dead, they were from that moment spiritually dead because they were cut off from God's presence. And so it's actually only a matter of time before their physical existence catches up and dies. The next eight chapters of the Bible, we've only been through three chapters so far, the next eight chapters of the Bible right up until chapter 11 are just story after story after story of broken people doing broken things in their brokenness. They turn away from God, and as a result of chasing their own rule for their own lives, things go wrong, and bad stuff happens. This picture, I think, is much closer to the world we see when we look around us. It's much closer to today than what we were looking at last week. Because I don't know about you guys, but I love to be the ruler of my own life. I love to decide for myself what is right and what is wrong. But ultimately, we see here how foolish that is. Because God knows what's best. And thankfully this didn't happen, but the story could have stopped here. The Bible could have been three chapters long. Eve reaches up, takes the fruit, takes a bite, 
hands it to Adam. Adam takes a bite. Zap. The end. But that's not how it ends. Because God doesn't immediately punish Adam and Eve completely for what they've done. By Adam and Eve being able to continue living, they have children and humanity grows. And out of that, there's going to be some hope. Like Eve ate that fruit, gave it to Adam. God could have killed them straight away. But the story goes on. There is no reason for God to do anything from here. There's no reason for God to try and help Adam and Eve now. There's no reason for God to try and help humanity. Humanity turned away from God. It walked out of the house. It slammed the door. And God's just left this in this lovely house wanting to have a relationship with humanity, but humanity has left. But thankfully, God is gracious and he's determined to put things right. He wants the relationships to be restored again. He wants his rule to be perfect over earth again so that he can have those relationships with humanity. Of course, God is still ruling. Just because people are living in disobedience and curse under God's rule doesn't mean God isn't still the ruler. He continues to rule. He continues to be in control, even if his people disobey him. And this week really ends on a cliffhanger. To be continued is the way we're going to finish off this week. Because you guys are going to have to come back next week where we'll hear God's plan to save humanity. From our first episode, things were looking great. Then we had this sudden dive right at the start of today's episode. And humanity has fallen off a cliff. All is looking hopeless. It seems like all of our characters are dying off left and right. They're doing the wrong thing, making the wrong choices. And we're just screaming at the TV for them to be better. And then on the screen, to be continued. Uh, We're going to break down into our discussion groups now, and we're going to have a read of some Bible passages, and we're going to think through a bit more what the perished kingdom means for us today, what Adam and Eve, what they went through, what that means for us today. But before we do that, please bow your heads and join me as I pray. Dear God, thank you for your word written down so that we might know what's going on in the world around us, why the world is this way, why it seems like no one is able to live the way that you want us to live. Dear Lord, please help us to look to your word for the answers. Please help us to be faithful as we study it together now, that we might learn what it means to live under your rule. In your Son's great and powerful name we pray. Amen.